question to ask you. Okay, go on then. How was Ben Hur? It's not finished. <laughs> <laughs> It's not Did you get back to watch the other half? I haven't. I don't. I haven't. I haven't had a chance. It is scheduled in for Sunday evening, but it's quite daunting. Like it's it's another two hours, and that's just half of it, obviously. So no, it hasn't happened. I've what have I watched this week? Uh, To be honest, it's been it's been pretty full on this week. So I've only really seen these two films. I think I've seen. uh, I feel pretty. I with feel Amy pretty. Schumer. Was that any good? Yeah, uh, it's it's a good chick, nice a nice chick flick. It's on Amazon at the moment, Amazon Prime. So I stuck that on. I was due to watch that when I had a couple of girls over the other week, but we never got around to watching it. So I thought a bit of light-hearted comedy, but also a feel-good movie as well. So uh, recommend if you're looking for a chick flick. That's good because the first film that we're going to review this week. It's probably not that. It's not a chick flick. It's at, definitely at not a chick flick. All at all. It's not in exactly. Fact, there's it's not, not many exactly, chicks. It's, it's, in not it. like, it's not. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> you could count the number of chicks on one hand, and you'd in hardly. Fact, I think it was only like two, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you'd hardly say it's an uplifting film as well. So. Uh, Oh, but it's a Western. It's a Western. Struggling with, I think we're struggling with our westerns. I think we need to to get some more other people's idea of what westerns we should be watching don't you i think so well there is one that that i had that was questionable whether there was a western or not which is no country for old men and since we had a conversation where it wasn't listed as a western i've since seen it listed under western in uh, ah. you know in kind of other publications so to be honest i'm going to throw that back on my list Okay, so the film we are talking about is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. The title just rolls off the tongue. I know, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit as well. So this was released in 2007, directed and screenplay by Andrew Dominic, a novel by Ron Hansen. Actors include great A-listers, we've got Brad Pitt, we've got Casey Affleck, we've got Sam Rockwell, Mary Louise Parker probably one of the only females that's in this film or one or two anyway and Jeremy Renner as well and interestingly the director filmed Killing Them Softly with Brad Pitt in 2012 as well so they've obviously got a good connection so in this film we follow Jesse James and his gang in 1880s over a seven month period and mostly I would say some of them in their latter years And we have Robert Ford, uh, Casey Affleck, who is idolising Jesse James, played by Brad Pitt. And he's idolised him since childhood. And he wants to be part of his gang a bit more, step up more. And he sort of kind of follows Jesse James around and and looks and learns as to how he pursues things. It gets a little bit creepy at some point. At first, I thought there was some sort of infatuation with him. But I think that he starts to actually resent him, doesn't like what he's doing and wants to be the leader. This is Robert Ford. There are brothers and cousins in in arms in this gang. But Jesse James is not a man to be messed with. On occasions, he's slightly unhinged and his presence on screen is quite eerie and often cold. It's fairly slow paced. It's two hours, 40 minutes. Uh, There is a narrator setting the scenes throughout the film and it kind of reminded me a little bit of Stand By Me. It's well acted. Casey Affleck picked up an Oscar nomination for his Best Supporting Role and um, so did Cinematography. 
which was nominated as well. And the cinematography is stunning absolutely stunning throughout the whole film but these films lost out to no country or men and also there will be blood as well so it's a modern western and i think rob and i were kind of starting to run out of westerns to to share but i would love to get your thoughts rob because i know that you haven't watched this film no i hadn't i i I knew it had been quite critically acclaimed and i always knew that it was supposed to be one of brad pitt's one of his finest performances. I didn't know that. I don't really know what probably hasn't drawn me to the film before. I did mention it's one of those ones that's always, um, well, on your list, kind of on my list. And it was, in some ways, it's exactly what I expected it to be. I mean, the first thing to say about it is it's very slow paced. It's very, I found it really kind of quite um, brooding and almost at times quite kind of ponderous. It really does it has this incredibly, I don't know, contemplative feel to it. You would typically associate Brad Pitt with his with his kind of cheeky charm that he brings to a lot of his roles, but this is completely stripped down. You know, you rarely see that Brad Pitt smile. Occasionally it comes out in some of the more, you know, upbeat scenes. But on the whole, he's a character that is at the end of his life in some ways, this is retelling the story of Jesse James almost towards the end of his days as a as an outlaw, you know, with these cousins and family members who are kind of clinging on. And this Robert Ford, who is a, he's a family member, I think he's like a second family member. Mm. And I think what's really fascinating is it's almost as if his character, this is Brad Pitt's character, Jesse James, it's like the end game for him. He's still a leader and everyone fears him, but his health is not great. This film is not about his various escapades, you know, robbing trains and banks. There's only really one set piece in this, which is at the beginning. This whole film is really about his demise and his demise told through the story of, yes, this family member, Robert Ford, who idolizes him. And it's just this kind of two-hander almost you obviously know from the name of the film exactly what's going to happen. So yeah. that's what's interesting about it. And you would have thought, well, that, you know, why would you watch it? But it's, it's, how, it's how they get to that point. And I think the themes it plays on, it is quite kind of, I would say, existential. But the themes it plays on, which I think is almost quite relatable today, which maybe is why it has, feels like it has this kind of modern Western feel, is because it almost deals with this theme of celebrity almost. Like Robert Ford sees Jesse is always right from the days he's grown up as a kid, as you say. He's, you know, he's collected memorabilia, which he keeps in a shoebox under the bed. And he kind of thinks that their lies overlap in so much as they, you know, he's, he sees various similarities in their upbringing. I mean, they're spurious connections, but it's like a story he's told himself to make him think that he should be with Jesse James. He should be part of his gang. He, he could even be Jesse James. And so it has almost this kind of celebrity, creepy stalker feel to it. And you very much get the sense that Brad Pitt is aware of what's going on. Jesse James in this film doesn't trust Robert Ford right from the beginning. And neither, in all honesty, does, does kind of, I think, anyone else. He doesn't really feel like he fits in in the gang. He's a little bit strange, like you say, he's a little bit creepy. And there are various uh, scenes where 
Robert Ford is quite forward in his comments directly to Jesse James. Um, he's not frightened to say what he thinks. And yeah, that tension that's constantly between them as he kind of like enters the fringes of the gang and he effectively becomes part of the gang. So I was like, well, I know, you know where this is going. Robert Ford's going to kill him. But it's like this death dance almost between the two of them. Jesse James is almost playing in a game where he knows his outcome. He doesn't trust this guy and it's almost like he knows he's going to do it, but he lets it happen, you know, and that's why it's almost this strange existential kind of study in death and demise and dying. But when you say all that, that makes it sound really quite posturous and, mm. and a bit up itself and a bit navel gazing, but it's not, it's really not because it's done so, so well. That Yeah, there were times when I was watching it where, as well as getting obviously completely lost in the amazing cinematography, because it is, this is Roger Deakins, and obviously he's well known for cinematography, but it does have, a, you know, that, that slow pace you do have to tune into, because it does at times, for me, at times it felt like a bit, um, I don't know, a bit kind of saggy. And it, for me, it kind of, it felt like it was starting to lose its way, but in the second mm. half, it really found its feet. And I thought the second yeah. half of the, the first half of the film was incredibly intriguing. Middle half I felt was a bit saggy, but then at the end, I think it was really, really good. And I must admit, it's one of those films that has genuinely lingered with me. And I do, I mean, it's a long film. But <laughs> that's I, probably why it lingered with you. <laughs> yeah, well, that obviously, you're right. I mean, obviously, that's, that has something to do with it. It would be easy to say it's not worth that running time, but I think it was. And... I would. Well, I want to go back and watch it again because I actually think there's more things in the film that I liked that I first gave it credit for, and I think Brad Pitt's performance is probably one of them. I love Casey Affleck. I mean, I only really come to Casey Affleck's performances in the last few years. Manchester by the Sea completely blew me away. We got an and, Oscar for that. That's right. And watching him in this, there were some parallels when I was watching, I felt, with The Revenant, purely for the authenticity of the accents and the dialogue. In, in The Revenant, sometimes it was often quite hard to hear what was being said. It was very real. And the same with this, I felt in the first half of the, of the film in particular, you had to tune into the dialogue. You know, he mumbles a bit, doesn't he? It, Does he that, mumble it, a bit? Yes, there is a bit mm. of mumbling. But as I say, I kind of eventually you kind of tune into it. But then having said that, the first part of the film is them hiding out in the woods and yeah. we're waiting to perform, you know, to do this um, train robbery and you're trying to get your head around how they were introducing the characters. And it took a while for me to kind of find its feet. But I think I really like it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Casey Affleck, first time I came across Casey Affleck was, it was in Goodwill Hunting. Uh, as a young man, obviously starring alongside his brother, Ben Affleck. And uh, he's done various different films with Matt Damon as well. He's done Oceans 11 and 12. And then he, he's, he's, he's been in Gone Baby again. Ben Affleck was in that one. And then Manchester by the Sea was pretty much the only film, really. This one and that, pretty much the only film where he separated himself from his brother and his best brother's best friend in some respect. And the other thing is, is that, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck also starred in Oceans 11 and 12 as well. So there's connection there. Manchester by the Sea, completely separate. I don't think he's got anyone else that he's performed with before in that one. And it's interesting he came a cropper and, and, and got the Oscar for that as well. I sat there through most of the film and I wondered, is he a coward? 
Was he a coward? Um, on on occasions, Jesse James was a coward, where he he let his one of his gang members trot along on this this horse, and he kind of shoots him in the back, which is similar death that he has as well. And also, he's pretty much giving Robert Ford the opportunity to kill him. He gave him a gun. He he, he turned around, was pretending to clean this mirror, and so was Robert Ford really a coward? What do you think about that? I think in terms of, if you, if you go by the values of the gang, if you go mm. by their values, then I suppose you could argue he is. But I think he's more of a Judas character. He's more of someone who I think who betrays a certain level of trust. I I'm not sure. I think you're right. I'm not sure he is a coward. You could say he's cowardly for, for not confronting Jesse, Jesse James in a more manly manner. Yeah. Yeah. And killing him in the way he did. But then the way in which that all plays out is exact. Jesse James knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. And but it's selfish act at the same time from Jesse James' perspective. If anyone came across, you know, across him and, and he didn't agree with it, he would shoot them. I think he killed about, what, 17, 19 men. But he had a family. And basically, I think because he lost trust in his gang, he had nowhere to go. He knew he was going to be found at some point. I think it was a get-out clause. It gave a gun to, to Robert Ford. Bang, you're dead. It's, it's almost suicide. I think there are two things to it. I think Jesse James knew the walls were kind of closing in on him in terms of his mm. gang members. He, he knew he wasn't the kind of leader he was. It's almost like he knew his game was slowly up. And I think he almost relished this idea of being, you know, like I say, of taking part in this kind of death dance with this character who he knew wanted to kill him. And he, he let that play out into a situation where it was all inevitable. I think that Robert Ford was a man who just didn't really have any sense of identity. He wanted to be someone he wasn't, and he believed that his destiny in the way in which he would gain some kind of standing in the world is if he basically killed Jesse James. And it's the interesting part of the film also is the aftermath after the death is then what happens to Robert Ford after that? Well, he doesn't get the notoriety that he was hoping for. In fact, there's a backlash against him because, Mm. you know, it's almost like he tries to create a celebrity Mm. for himself you know, and even takes the whole story and the how the whole assassination into a like a travelling theatre act. Yeah, and I think it's only towards the end of the film where he meets the girl, and eventually there's an admission years on that he shouldn't have done it. He regrets it, and he regrets everything that's kind of gone since. In some ways, I think it's quite sad because it's the it's the story of a man who's where a huge part of his life that happens to centre around the killing of this folklore in some ways takes him down a path which which is just not him being true to himself. Yeah, yeah. I found it funny because uh, on occasion he's very much keeping it in with the family and everything, with the cousins and the brothers and protecting each other, but then also double crossing each other, and I, I found that quite interesting. But I've been kind of wondering what to, to rate this as well. I'd be good, interested to know what you rated it. Just before you do, they made a loss in this film, budget-wise, that it was £30 million to make. 
they made 15 million dollars worldwide gross yeah so i was i was quite surprised by that i'm wondering whether it's because the title could be too long and a bit you know what's going to happen could there have been some sort of mystery in the title i think that could have something to do with it Mm. i think also I i think it probably got a reputation quite quickly for being like you say, the title is, it signposts exactly what's going to happen in the film. So for some yeah. people, that might put them off. The running time is massively long. It, yeah. is, it is known, if you, if you were to look into it in any way, you would know that it's quite a kind of slow-paced piece of work. So I think those three, the combination of all of those doesn't necessarily make it the box office fodder that a typical Brad Pitt film would garner. Yeah, yeah. So what are you going to give it then? I'm going to give it eight and a half because I, I found Ooh. it fas- I found it fascinating as a as almost like a an intimate character study on both those two men and yeah. as I say it's for some reason it's grown on me since watching it so I feel like I would want to watch it again to see whether eight point five is the right score or whether it might even go go higher than that so wow okay I mean I've said it once before. But it is beautiful looking, isn't it? I mean, it if you is, like if you like films that you know with a stunning cinematography, this is amazing. Yeah, and it's it's amazing actually. When we, we watched *It's a Wonderful Life* the week before, and this film was set in eighteen eighties, the actors from *It's a Wonderful Life*, majority of them, the older actors in the film, were born in eighteen seventy something, and seeing that setting knowing that they had grown up as children in that era as well, was really interesting to, to see that. And also, obviously, you know, they got that Americanism side as well. So they may have been brought up in that kind of environment as well. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But the cinematography was stunning. The acting was fantastic. It was a little bit long. It did plod along a little bit. But I was engaged so I would say I'm going to give it seven and a half out of 10. So even though it was my own film, you know, I always struggle a little bit with Westerns anyway on a personal level, but I, I, I think I'm purely giving that for the cinematography and acting. Good stuff. Seven and a half is probably what I could have easily given it. I mean, like yes. I say, who knows? It's still I'll, a I'll... good film, still good rating. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad film. I think it's worth watching, definitely. So I just found it a little bit long on occasions and um, there was some humour I felt in it with Dirk's character and him trying it on with his friend's dad's wife, who was like his age, <laughs> and his dad was like in his eighties or something. So uh, there was some humorous bits in it, in it as well. Yeah, it's worth noting that there is some light in it. There are some yeah. light-hearted moments. In fact, without that, it would have been a lot harder to watch. I think. Yeah. Cool. Right. So on to. The Lost Boys. This was just such a treat to watch. Uh, it's been a long trick time. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. <laughs> very good, very good. It's been a while since I enjoyed a film this much. I think partly because I knew it wasn't a long film. And mm. there are so many things that are memorable about this for anyone who watched a lot of films in the 80s, of which uh, the late 80s, which um, I certainly did. It was just like almost a huge nostalgia trip. I think we've had this before with some of the other films that we've had. I think, was it Patriot Games? I'm trying to think of some other films. That was probably maybe early 90s. But anyway, it had a real sense of nostalgia. So 1987, directed by Joel Schumacher, 
written by Jan Fisher, James Jemias, and Jeffrey Boehm, starring Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, the two Corys, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, and Diane Wiest. So we have a mother and recent divorcee, Lucy, um, and her two teenage sons, the eldest Michael, Jason Patrick, and the younger brother, Sam, Corey Haim, and they all moved to this small coastal town of Santa Carla in California to live with their eccentric grandfather. It's no ordinary town as they arrive and are driving along the promenade into this this new area. You, you see these kind of montage sequences of various missing person posters around the place. Uh, as they look out of the car, they see sprayed in graffiti, the murder capital of the world on the back of some kind of uh, big, um, big billboard. And... When they head down to the fun fair on the promenade that evening, they can see that there's these biker gangs everywhere. Um, and one in particular is led by David Kiefer Sutherland. The younger brother, Sam, finds himself in this comic book store and makes friends with these two other boys, the Frog Brothers, they're known as, with Ed- Edgar, played by Corey Feldman, and Alan, played by Jameson Newlander. And they basically tell Sam that Santa Carla is crawling with vampires. And obviously he thinks they're crazy, but they both have this love of comic books and they keep trying to give him this comic book, which is a vampire comic book, which is designed to give him advice on how to deal with a vampire should he come across them. So he kind of reluctantly takes this and obviously it stays in his head as he goes home. Meanwhile, Michael who's a lot old, no, he's the older one. And how old would you say he is? What do you reckon? Probably what? Uh, early 20s. Yeah. He's supposed, supposed to be probably about 18, 17, Yeah, 18. that kind of age. A biker himself as well. He's got his own bike. And he basically spots this girl in, in the crowd and becomes completely smitten by the only female in David's gang, Star, played by Jamie Gertz. And is slowly drawn into the group. Now, unbeknown to him, all of David's gang are indeed vampires who come out at night to prey on their victims. And after he takes on David in this bike race out of town, it's his way of trying to prove that he wants to win, win over Star. And this is his way of doing it, is by confronting like the leader of the gang. He's lured out of the town into their cave-like hideout and is goaded into drinking this goblet of blood. And soon enough, Michael begins to exhibit classic signs of vampirism, sleeping days and staying out all night. Sam, his brother, soon finds out about Michael's secret, and fearing for his own safety, he recruits his two young vampire hunter friends, uh, the Frog Brothers, to save his brother by finding and destroying the head vampire. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, reasons to like The Lost Boys. First of all, the soundtrack. Two songs in particular. Cry Little Sister is one of them, and the other one yeah. is... Is it People Are Strange or Strange? Yeah, it's The Doors. 
Yeah. Doors, yeah. Strange. Yeah, we gave we gave a rendition last week. We did. We won't. We're not going to do it. We're not going to burn people's ears this week. Precisely. (laughs) Precisely. But even like the opening title sequence of this is amazing. You got these. Yeah, it's like a vampire's eyes view drifting through the clouds into the towards this town, and you get that cry little sister theme slowly kind of fades up, and it's just like, oh yes, this is good. I mean, the outfits are, are stunning, aren't they? Um, yeah. and, the, and the mullet haircuts, uh, particularly <laughs> Keith Sullivan's, yeah. is amazing. I mean, he's, he's the one that makes it, I think, a bit more scary. I think when I watched it the first time, I thought it was quite scary. But obviously, as an adult, it's quite a treat to watch, to be honest. No, it's kind of, kind of like... Some of those memories, yeah. It's yeah. a little bit eerie in places, and but you kind of remember them. It's, it's, um, it's designed for the teens, you know, young adults, I think, this film... But yeah, it was, I mean, the stars in this film were complete brat pack back in the day with Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman obviously being in Stand By Me as well. And Corey Haim, you didn't really see him in much else that was really strong like this film. And same with Jason Patrick. However, Jason Patrick has been making a little bit of a comeback. I did see him in Wayward Pines not so long ago in a, in a TV series and he did have a, a lead role in Speed 2 in, in 96 or 97. And then there was also Sleepers he was in as well. So he's done some other things. But I would say most of the others haven't, apart from also Alex Winter. Great to see him. I forgot he was in this. So Alex Winter, who is, you know, Bill and Ted uh, dude, he was brilliant in that. And you see a very much younger version of him in, in this film. But I mean, it, yeah, it, it was it wasn't a trick. It was certainly a treat to watch this. And I would say my favourite scene was probably where Sam, played by Corey Haim, and uh, the Frog Brothers were together, and they were trying to. They were thinking that uh, Diane Weiss, who's Lucy, her her boyfriend was the head of the vampire clan, and they were throwing garlic water and just trying all these different things, and and to see whether he was actually this head vampire or not, and that. Obviously, at that time, everything failed on on them. What I did find really cool, or not really cool, is a bit gory, actually, towards the end where already one of the Frog Brothers has has stabbed in the heart. I think it was Alex Winter's character, actually, that got stabbed in the cave. They slept it off still, and they they went back to Sam and, and Michael's home, or Grandad's home. They prepared themselves whilst the vampires actually slept. And then when they braided the, you know, when they came, when they came to the house, and there was just blood everywhere. Like if <laughs> you got um, one of the vampire was was thrown in a, a bathtub of of garlic bath water, they dissolved, and then there's just blood and coming out the toilets, coming out the taps everywhere. And it was just like that's just so far fetched. Had to take it one step, one notch higher with gore and to make it tick that box for for horror really well I just found that funny and and then obviously granddad had been he's, he was into stuffing animals as well uh it was hilarious where you know Corey Hayne would be sleeping and then next minute he'd wake up and there was a, a stuffed beaver or something like that. <laughs> that was right next sleeping right next to him he'd be like oh but yeah there's lots of quirkiness it, it, it's very 80s and it yeah I loved seeing watching it again I was just surprised that he didn't see these these actors perform more later on really 
I know they're getting older and there's people are playing younger roles. But yeah, I mean, I, I love Diane Wiest. I've, I've said it before. I've seen her in Parenthood. She was brilliant in that. Uh, I'm hoping soon that we'll you know, be able to pick that one out if, if we get a, a comedy you know, drawn out and you select the right number because that is, is a real treat, Parenthood. And I think it was Santa Carla, the, the setting, wasn't it? Was it? That's right. Santa Carla. I've been to a place called, I think it was called Santa Clara, and it was very similar. And it had a fairground rise and everything like that as well. And it just reminded me of The Lost Boys. So I, I don't know, what are your thoughts? I, I, I really like the film. I just think it's, it's just a good, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I just thought it was just, like you say, it was just a complete treat. It had a bit of everything. It had the family drama, the romance so, you know, this is, I suppose, that kind of teen angst romance. You had the gang, you had the, the baddie, the leader of the gang, you had vampires, you had fights, you had comedy, you had a bit of gore. And it was all over so quickly. That was one thing that really actually I forgot, mm. is that the speed at which each of the members of the vampire gang are killed, done away with, towards the kind of climax of the film... It all just happens really quickly. And I was expecting, um, because I don't obviously remember the details, the finer details of the film at all, when it came to the final fight sequence between Michael and David, Jason Patrick and Kiefer Sutherland, that it's all building to, it didn't last long, did it? I mean, <laughs> I was just like, is that it? Is, did the, that's it? <laughs> wow, like, crikey, they didn't, draw, they didn't really draw that out very much. So I don't know, I felt it was almost like it went from plot point to plot point so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily worse for it. It just rattles along, it wraps up and it's, you th- I think that's why it's brilliant, but it's, it's just, you just don't get films like that anymore. That It's such a lean film. It, it does what it sets out to do. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It comes and goes, but it's just, I just think it's fantastic for it. And I must admit, of, of all of the 80s, you know, the films of that era, which there are so many, I was really surprised at how much I liked this film. Um, (laughs) And it's it's like, as soon as I heard that soundtrack, especially when... I was in my head right right now as you're talking. (laughs) You know, and I did, actually, one of my favourite scenes was, and again, they waste no time in um, introducing the whole Michael, we are vampires, can't you? Michael! Michael! (laughs) When they take him to the, after that, you know, he's drunk the wine in the cave. I think it's after that. They take him to that bridge and it's just completely, you know, misty either side of the bridge. It's like a cloud of fog where they are. And one by one, they all just, they just jump off and disappear. And obviously we know they're vampires and Michael doesn't quite know what's going on. And it turns out that they're all hanging from the bridge underneath the cloud. And he joins them as if to try and like, you know, prove his, how macho he is. And they all fall one by one. And of course he falls. And when he realizes, you know, that whole transformation thing of being a vampire where he wakes up and he's on the ceiling. I mean, they're yeah. simple things, but it's done. I don't know. It all just seems to just be done so efficiently and so well. And I did actually think the whole look of it, the vampire part, parts of it when they're in that kind of uh, environment where they live and like I say Mm. that bridge with the cloud and the music you're hearing and and all the kind of cross dissolves yeah I just it's just irresistible don't you think they were heavy sleepers though because they were being quite loud in that cave I'm so surprised that they did not wake vampire I know. And, and with the with the scope to go with the song there was a lot of pictures of oh who's the lead singer of the doors 
Oh, um, Jim yeah. Morrison. Morrison, yeah. So there's pictures of him around as well. Yeah. But didn't you think that Jason Patrick looked a bit like him? Yes, you're right. No, he yeah. absolutely did. You're right. And when I was younger, I think I probably had a little bit of a fancying of, of Corey Haim, I would say, and probably my friends did as well. But I would say watching it this time, Jason Patrick is a, is a looker, isn't he? He's a, he's a good-looking guy, don't you think, Rob? I mean, I must admit, even I was thinking, this is one hell of a good-looking guy. Like, what went With his flowing ro- locks. Yeah, you know, what, what went wrong? I mean, I know he cropped up in Speed 2, but he never really went on to well, kind of... Well, I've seen he did Wayward Pines recently. He's, yeah. he's, he's, a much, he's an older gentleman. He's probably in his 50s now, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's still he's still handsome. Not as handsome as he was back in the day, I would say. But he's, he's, a, he's, still he's kind of like a poor man's Robert uh, Rob Blow, maybe. Because Rob Blow is doing so much TV now. He was a big eighties kind of he's actor. Still, he's still handsome, anyway. Yeah. And yeah, he, when when I saw him in Wave of Pines, I was like, oh, Lost Boys. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. where he, I bet he gets that if he gets seen walking down the street. I bet people call out the Lost Boys yeah. or, or whatever. I really liked as well that you had. The kind of older teen story, mm. which people can yes. relate to. So now if you're an older teen, you yeah. kind of had the whole love thing and, you know, with mm. Star and mm. Michael and then you had the gang and all that. And then you also almost had this separate little film going on with Corey Haim, the younger yeah. one, with his mates, which is all really just about far, far you know, it's, just, it's all just comedic and funny. Yeah. And I think the oh. way they both meshed was really, really good. It was something for everyone. But names of film where they did that as well. They had a young Brat Pack and an older Brat Pack. Sound, Sound by me. By me. Yes. yes. Sound by me. Because nineteen eighty six. So this was eighty seven. Eighty six was Stand by Me. So it was done just before. And lo and behold, we have uh, Corey Feldman and Keith Sutherland both in that as well. This made quite a killing. Excuse the pun in the box office back in the day as well. Um, it was only five million dollars to make, and it was it made thirty two million worldwide gross in dollars uh so it did pretty well really when you th- when you think about it how much was actually spent on it absolute classic what are you going to give us here oh really it's not a critic's choice it's good fun it's got some great actors in it and i really enjoyed it the special effects weren't too bad either i'm going to give it an eight out of ten i think yeah it's hard isn't it like yeah, some films you watch today and they're timeless, they hold up. But I mean, this is like, this film is a child of the 80s. And it's like you say, it's, it's obviously not a critic's choice at all, but... Very iconic. Very, I mean, you could almost... Yeah, most people know it. Most people know Lost yeah. Boys, don't they? So, but I, that's not a reason not to score it high, is it? If you like it, you like it. Mm. I mean, I'm going to give it eight and a half. Because, I, I mean, I remember when I was watching, I was thinking, well, I take 80s movies, like this... I just loved it. I just loved it. There was very little about it that I kind of thought, that's daft, that's daft, that's daft, because I just yeah. went, I just completely went with it. And I loved all the characters and I, I don't know, I just loved everything about it. Yeah, but- I am going to change it. I'm going to up it a little bit, eight and a half as well, actually. It, it is very iconic and most people have watched it. So just nudge it up a little bit, eight and a half for me. Nice. Yeah. Did my job there just to sell it a bit more. <laughs> you did, you did. <laughs> well done, Rob. Right, okay. So Right, so what have we got for this week? What have we got for this week? Can I go you first? Go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. First genre out of the hat is adventure. Adventure. We have 30 adventures. Number 30, please. Number 30, oh, classic. It is Jaws. Oh, 
Awesome. How awesome. Nineteen seventy-five with Roy Schneider and Richard Dreyfus. Classic. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. That'd be brilliant. I'm going to read the blurb just because I'm curious to know how it's how it's described. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to the local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Show me the way to go home. Boom, boom. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Boom, boom. I had a little boom. <laughs> oh my God, I love this film. I really cannot wait until my son is old enough to sit down with me and watch Jaws. And with every year that passes, I contemplate it and think, no, he's not quite there yet. (laughs) I want him to be able to feel like he can Uh, safely swim in the sea when he's on holiday. (laughs) But has he seen Meg? Well, he has, actually. Well, there you go. He might be all right to see Jaws. Yeah, but the Meg's so daft. I don't think it's quite as affecting as Jaws. It's almost like a comedy. Yeah. And I think they used to have, like, in, was it MGM Studios? They used to have, like, a years and years ago, they used to have a Jaws ride. I don't know Universal. I it. think it was Universal. Universal, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it is streaming on Now TV and Sky Go. You can rent or buy it off Amazon Prime, Rakuten TV, and YouTube. And there's a Talk Talk TV as well. You can buy it from. Cool. Very good. He's a composer as well. Probably John Williams. Probably the guest. Classic. Stab in the dark. I don't know. Let's have a look. It is John Williams. Yay! Good old John Williams. If in doubt, right? Yeah. Come on then. Give me a genre. Action. Action. So we got a. We've got action and adventure week. Okay, cool. Right, let me have a look. I've got 17 on the list at the moment. 17. I would like to go for number eight, please. Number eight is Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh. Which is kind of like the Mad Max reboot with Charlie Theron, who obviously yeah. you love, and, uh, and Tom Hardy. <laughs> yeah. Good. I've seen it a while ago, but I have, yeah, it'd be good to watch it again, definitely. This is the. It's um, quite a long film, if I recall, though, is it or not? So this is 2015 and directed by George Miller. In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a woman rebels against a tyrannical ruler in search for her homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshipper, and a drifter named Max. And in answer to your question. It is exactly two hours. Not too bad. All good. You can stream off Amazon Prime. You can also rent and buy off Apple TV, Sky, Rakuten TV and YouTube. Lovely jubbly. Yeah, that's good. Actually, I don't think we've had an action and adventure in one week, have we? No, we haven't. That's quite nice, isn't it? You don't really have to concentrate too hard when you're watching action no. adventures. <laughs> Well, not that you had to concentrate very hard watching Lost Boys, to be fair. But uh, No. Really, really good. good week. So it's half term next week, isn't it? So It is. It's not everywhere in the country. No. But it is for our way. And um, yeah, got a couple of days off. Be nice. Have you thought about going to the cinema at all? Do you know what? I, I, actually, I actually went out yesterday and went, wow. for, a, went for a meal with um, my work colleagues who I've not met face to face before it's because I, I joined the company 
in lockdown. It was the first time I met some of my my colleagues, and I we drove past the cinema, and it looked quite busy. I was really surprised. It's I'm not sure because I've got we I've got to get babysitters. I'm not sure whether babysitters are how comfortable they are babysitting to be honest at the moment. Yeah. I'm sure they're fine. What about you? You gonna Um, I'd like to it'd be a nice thing to do but I've got to be honest that there's obviously not really that many new releases out there that kind of draws you in there is actually um a horror film that's getting very very good reviews like critically Mm -hmm. acclaimed called Saint Maud but it's a horror film and so I don't know if I really, I'm not that great at going to the cinema to watch horror films. I'm not that great with horror films anyway, but I'm not sure. I'm tempted because it's got such great reviews, but I'd be more keen to go to like a family film, obviously with children. And there's not really anything which, I don't know. I'd have to look into it. If there was something that was good for the family, I would go and watch, but we're not really getting many new releases still at the moment. So we will be back though, right? Even though it's half term. We'll squeeze in. I'll be back. We'll squeeze in podcast episode. What is it now? We're coming up to 30. That's great. And we forgot all about We forgot all about 25. So when we get to 30, I think the uh, something, a stronger refreshment is going to have to come out to accompany that one. Maybe a Prosecco or a glass of champagne (laughs) or something like that. Right. Okay. Well, thanks again, Sarah. And you. And thanks to our listeners for listening in. Absolutely. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.